Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! This is our Welcome Back episode, and we'll be discussing our why we talk about true crime. We hope to answer the following questions. What show impacted you the most as a child? What's your favorite conspiracy or true crime case? And why do you like true crime? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Vanny. And this is Kat. Hey guys. Well, I just want to welcome our new friends and welcome back our little stalkers. We hope to capture more of you today with this new episode. And I am so excited to be back after my leave. Oh, I know. It has been a long time. (laughs) It feels way longer than it was. Was getting lots of people going, oh my God, when are you back? When are you back? Hey, but you, you filled in for us, and that is great, and we love those little shorts you did. Those are perfect, and uh, we kind of still gave everybody just a little teaser to, to not forget we're still around, and I was coming back. Yeah, so you know, I got to ask, update on Gabs. So she's going on four months already. That's time flew by. The last time we saw each other was at her baptism, and it was great to see you guys, and you guys got to see her, so... Uh, it was nice. The time flew by too fast, though. I had a huge gathering of a bunch of family and friends that came, and everybody moved into the, my house at the same time that we did. So the first night into the house was everybody's first time at the house. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm laughing because everybody's like I'm trying to ask you where everything is. It's my first night. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was funny, the, the questions that I was getting. I was like, I wasn't the one even packing this stuff, so I have no idea. So <laughs> I'm glad that we did the, what we did because we put like all the baptism stuff in like one suitcase that would stand out, that we would all know where it's at. And so that was like, at least we know where that's at. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to look for everything? We would have lost our heads. <laughs> Anyways, how about you? How was your time while I was away? And did you guys do anything fun? Anything exciting? It was good. We got a little bit of camping in, you know, get out to the great outdoors. So always love being able to get out and do that stuff. So especially right now with this crazy hot weather, man, did you guys get that crazy storm? It was wild. It's whole monsoon season time. Wild. Yeah, it was kind of weird that for once, the east side didn't seem to get as much as they usually do, but got a little bit central. So uh, driving home, I was driving through it a little bit. But while it's raining in central Phoenix to the West Valley, dust storms. Mm-hmm. They're having dust storm advisories telling people, you know, pull off the road, shut off your lights, just sit. Visibility was zero. And I'm like, it's raining, yet we're having a dust storm. It's so Phoenix. Yeah. So, so central Arizona. Let's just say it's been a very interesting experience for me to be on the back end of South Mountain and like you kind of get hit with everything first before it hits the valley. It's a little 
weird because then I'm like messaging everybody. Hey, did you guys get the storm? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about, Vanessa. You sound crazy. <laughs> and then they're like, oh my gosh, it just got really dark. You were right. There's a storm. I'm like, I told you guys. Yeah, you moved. You moved a little south. So instead of it, you know, the storm coming up against the mountain and then coming over, it's hitting you and then it hits the mountain. <laughs> yes, it's definitely a different experience, I can say. Well, I know our, our lovely listeners like to know, you know, kind of we left you guys hanging with the last week's question of the week, which is like <laughs> months ago. Uh, <laughs> so just as a refresh, I'll remind everybody what the question was. And that was how many women are currently on death row? And Kat, I'll let you uh, answer the question. Uh, sorry about that three month hang kind of kind of forgot about the question when I was doing the shorts. But um, the answer to how many women are currently on death row as of January 1st, 2022, there are 50 women on death row across the United States. That seems like a lot. It seems a lot. And we have three uh, that we've talked about in our previous episodes. Yeah, three right here, Arizona representing. We got three. (laughs) Three, yes, three major ones. So we have an exciting episode for you guys this time around. Um, And we thought that coming back, we'd share a little more about, you know, you guys seem to love our personality, love our you know, trivias, love our interaction and our engagement. And I thought, what about we share a little reason to, you know, why do we do what we do? How did we like end up in this place? And uh, do our spouses sleep with one eye open at night? I think they do. (laughs) 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 And uh, so, you know, growing up in a wild world of, you know, crime all around us, it, you know, really all started when we were kids. And so, this episode we want to dedicate to here is our why and talk about some cases that stood out to us when we were growing up, anything, any suspects that left us scared at night, kind of go into some little discussion and I'll let Kat kind of kick it off. Cause I know she has great stories to share. Cause when we talked about doing this episode, she shared a few things that I was just like, you know, looking back to it, um, actually as a kid, you don't realize what you're watching. And then you start realizing as an adult, when you go back and be like, why did I love Scooby-Doo? And how that ties back to true crime. <laughs> yes. And, and the best takeaway, because I loved Scooby-Doo and the whole, the whole thing, but the best thing that I could take away from, from that show was uh, Scooby-Doo was right all along because the monsters were always human. Yes. And that is so true. That is so true. And you think of us kids, you know, right? We're scared of the monsters. We're scared of the monsters. And really, in reality, we're scared of that, that adult, that human that's doing, that's doing some bad things. So, And for me, Scooby was always more scared than I was, so he made me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize that he was probably high. <laughs> <laughs> that came later. but <laughs> Yeah. That's why he was extra scared. <laughs> well, we know that's why they ate so much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, even to this day, people that are scared, they love to go to food. So whether you're high or not. So, hey, that's something to do with food and true crime, right? <laughs> I mean, there was a whole reason why they had, you know, the last meal for death row, right? It was like food always, for some reason, always played a part in true crime. So the comfort, the comfort. I mean, we can ask our friend Jeffrey Dahmer, like food was a, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we're jumping, we're jumping here. So Kat, go ahead. I, I, I would love to hear your stories of <laughs> you know how you got in, how you love true crime and And got interested that all oh, this crazy bumpy road and I it's just it's it's had many layers, but yeah, I, I blame I blame Scooby Doo right out the gate. So he was first. But it was really amazing if you you look back how um television really shaped it, at least especially for me. So after Scooby-Doo and I got older and you know, started going to school and getting involved with um, science classes and trying, you know, learning, starting to learn what made things work in the world. They had this show that came out and I shudder when I think how, how long ago this show came out, but one of the, the shows that I just couldn't get enough with, and I just sit in front of the TV with my jaw open going, how did they figure that out, was Quincy. Mm -hmm. Loved that show, and that show brought so many things to light and was just pioneer in the evolution of crime scenes, gathering and processing information. It was just absolutely fascinating to me. And so I watched that show religiously. I just... Absolutely loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. So as I was growing up, I uh, was a member of 4-H. And you can join 4-H is for kids 8 to 18. And they kick you out at 18. And they really kicked me out screaming. I didn't, I didn't want to go. But in your county, there's however many little local 4-H clubs there are. Mm -hmm. And once you hit 13, you can join what they call YO or youth organization. And that's people from all kinds of clubs in your county. We would meet down um, at the county seat and, you know, we would have kids from all over the county and we would talk about things like what to do for the fair and things that we thought should be there and things that we didn't think did very well last year. And just, it was a lot of planning. It was a lot of leadership skills, a lot of that stuff going on. And every month as part of the meeting, we would have a guest speaker. So this one particular, this one particular month that I actually, I think, I think it was October to be honest, but um, they had the, the uh, medical examiner for our DuPage oh. County, come and give a talk. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. That's like going to be science. You know, we're just not going to be talking about cows and tractors and that. Oh, this sounds cool. So, okay. So we get there and he uh, had little displays. You know, it's like that cardboard that's like in the, the it, it, it has the three sides. You know, if so you like mm -hmm. unfold it and it stands up. So he had like two of those and he had like this burnt house and this, you know, stuff in these pictures. Um tame ones, you know, that he could, uh, get, you know, bring a show an audience. And so he started talking and he talked for about five minutes and all of a sudden I see him looking around and I look around and what started off with like 20, 25 people, it was him mm -hmm. and I in the room, he cleared the room. And so I got to sit with him one-on-one -on -one, and he would talk about cases and I just got to ask him all kinds of questions and I was just in awe. And I remember he was talking about one case and he's like, yeah, he says, you know, there was a fire and he, he like showed me like the pile of rubble. And then he's mm -hmm. like, you know, the firemen were digging through it because they had to find out the cause of the fire and they found a body and uh, he didn't have any gory pictures of the body or anything, but he was like, yeah, they found the, the body and he's, I proved that she was killed first and then they set fire 
to cover up the crime. And I remember looking at him and going, how can you tell she was killed first? The fire would have got her. And he's like, no, he goes, we have ways that we can tell. And I was like, oh, shut up. How are you going to do that when, you know, we know mm-hmm. she was in the fire and, you know, she burned to death. And he said, well, when somebody's in a fire and they die in a fire before you die of the fire, you're breathing and you breathe smoke and soot and it lines your lungs. And he said, when we did her autopsy, her lungs were perfectly clean and pink. That's how we knew she died first. And then they set the fire to cover it up. I was blown away. That was like the most, whoa, like moment. I was like, oh my God, you could tell that by looking in her lung. That's crazy to think about. And so you know, I wound up going into nursing and I just had always had a passion for forensics, uh, anything that had to do with that. And that's why I got involved uh, with the whole death investigation and all that stuff, because I just fell in love with it. I'm fascinated by how all that works. So it's all the fault of a cartoon Great Dane. (laughs) Gonna hold Scooby personally responsible. So yeah, that was the wow moment. I was going to say, you know, not just Scooby-Doo, like, think about um, The Adventures of Tintin, Batman. I was putting a list together, some of these things of what other cartoons, like Spawn, Darwin Duck. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) those are things that we grew up watching as kids at Inspector Gadget, um, just to have a little, you know, because we're going to kind of go into suspects in a bit after I share my why, like, as a kid. I want to just kind of do a confession on one of the first suspects that, you know, how women fall in love with serial killers or like criminals and like they send all these love letters and like some of them even offer like to get married to them, you know, I never thought I was one of those women's right. Like I never saw myself to be like, oh, I'm a stuff of Ted Bundy. I'm going to write him letters like, you know, like the stories that you hear. And I never realized like my first crush I had was Aladdin and he was a criminal. <laughs> So it's uh, kind of interesting that now that I look back and I'm like, wait a second, pause, Vanessa, you actually had a crush on a criminal and it was a lot. <laughs> it was a cartoon. <laughs> well, at least it was a cartoon. It was a cartoon, right? And my second crush was like the adventures of 1010. I used to love watching that cartoon and the original Batman from like the 1950s. We, my sister and I, you know, the ones that you would, they would punch and it would say, like, bam, pow. Uh, I had a crush on on Robin, so like you know, it was like the weirdest things as kids that you like you watched and didn't realize that it was actually true crime. So for me, like I grew up around Roswell, New Mexico. So my parents live outside of Roswell, New Mexico. So we kind of grew up with around conspiracies and like true crime stuff. Like I probably really didn't realize how much I was really into true crime. I watched a lot of you know series and episodes but my mom always introduced us to like horror films that had a lot of true crime stuff of course most horror films are um but I never will forget the day that my mom and I were watching some episode on tv um that was like they were doing an autopsy and you know back then they didn't really show everything but they would kind of like blur things out that you could see enough to like your imagination would go wild and we were eating like these burritos and my dad walks in and was like so disgusted that he's like how could you eat and watch something like this being done to a human and we were like they were doing an autopsy to figure out like how did this person die kind of like in your scenario like it was (laughs) details of it but you know we grew up 
uh, I grew up on a ranch. And so my dad did a lot of like killing of the animals. Like we thought they were our pets. Well, no, you didn't get attached to animals. So we learned how to like cut up animals and see the inside. So that was always a fascination. Not that I wanted to be a serial killer because, you know, you find serial killers doing those things. It was just a fascination of the human body that brought the whole forensic idea. And how I ended up in healthcare um, was really funny because as a kid, I used to always say I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to fight for, you know, like the safety of children or kids or like, you know, find these serial killers and go to the whole process of law and understand law. How I ended up in healthcare was just that fascination of human body of, you know, how they were the forensic side of things. And so that's kind of how I pretty much was involved in true crime since I was a kid. And I didn't realize the impact that it was making and the decisions that we like make as a career until later on. Yeah, I have to say this was like a slow evolution. It wasn't like I watched an episode of Scooby-Doo and decided to springboard off in this crazy, crazy life. It was it was a culmination. It was it was an interest and it, it just grew as it went along. And it's kind of fun to look back and go, really, Scooby started it all. Mm-hmm. You know, Aladdin started it all. Yeah. Oh like, you God, Batman really did impact my life. Oh, my God. Adam <laughs> West. <laughs> You know, so that's kind of the funny things to look back and think about. And so you probably understand a little bit of why our, maybe our humor is the way it is. It's just something that we've <laughs> kind of been involved with in our lives every day that we didn't realize that it was making why we have this kind of dark humor. Um, but, I, you know, I think one of the bigger cases that really impacted me as a kid and, you know, I wasn't around in the great 70s and all the serial killers were around. So those didn't really impact me as much. And I actually you know, talking about old cases and stuff. I didn't really know much about John Wayne Gacy besides he was Pogo the Clown. And I have to share with you guys um, a little later what I thought he did as a crime. And when I found out like literally recently what he actually did, whole, like my whole mind just went like, boom. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, yeah, so that, that whole was a whole big perspective, but it was uh, the John Bonet case. And that was just because she was some little kid that was really close to my age that I could uh, relate to that. I was like, what happened to her? Did her parents do it? You know, there's all these speculations and it wasn't until recently while I was on maternity leave, you know, you don't stop watching true crime. You don't stop, you know, reviewing cases or looking at stuff that actually mentioned this to Kat. Um, so I want my listeners to listen to this, but my, you know, there was a case that uh, was a really old case that they were able to go off of the handwriting analysis and go back to, and I think it was the Unabomber, I mentioned it, because we watched the Unabomber, my husband and I, the Netflix series that they had. And they talked about how the way he wrote in his letters that they were able to determine his age and determine because of those words were not something that we were commonly using in modern times. And so they were able to determine like who wrote like this back in that time, like who taught, who got taught this. And so my, my theory is now that I've came up with, you know, I love conspiracies is John <laughs> Bonet's mom, how they suspected that her handwriting was so close to the letter that got left behind. And so my thought, it was like, okay, well, who around the John Bonet's family or the Bonet's families were uh, as the same age as their mom, as her mom to say, okay, well, where did she study? elementary and who taught her how to write the way she did because obviously her handwriting had to have been something similar you get taught and I remember as a kid in elementary we were all writing the same way 
We were taught by the same teacher that wrote the same way. And maybe our suspect is amongst the family and we don't realize that. Yeah, that's crazy because um, on the issue of John Bonet confession, yes. um, while, while I was working with Dr. D and I was doing all the death investigation and all the forensic stuff uh, in my career, I had the opportunity to meet one of the handwriting experts. Uh, one of our speakers for her forensic class was going to be out of town, so we needed uh, to fill that speaker spot, and so Doc found this lady, and I would have to go back and look up her name because I... I don't remember it at present. But anyway, she was a handwriting expert, and she was one of like, I don't know, 20, 25 people that came in to consult on the, the JonBenet Ramsey case regarding the, the handwriting. And she pretty much confessed that there was the side of, yes, you know, the, the mom and dad did it. No, they didn't. And it just so happened that she was on the camp of, no, she didn't think it was the mom's handwriting. So I thought that was kind of interesting, yeah. but it was neat. It was neat to actually meet somebody that, that worked on that high profile of a case. Yeah. I am curious to know who it was because I, back in the day, my friend Asia had introduced me to a handwriting expert that used to work with a lot with the FBI. She did a lot of the CSI discussions and I am trying to look for her name right now because I'm drawing a blank. I've asked her before, um, to come on board and, and talk to us, but her, I want to say her last name was Moselle. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know I'm pretty sure my handwriting expert lives in, or at least did live in Paradise Valley. So I'll have to go through my notes and and figure out who it was. So she, her name is Dr. Moselle Martin, mm. and I don't know if you can see this, but she did a lot of the forensics. She now lives in in Texas, but she did live in in Arizona, and so. She also presented at TED Talks. Um, Dr. Martin has a bachelor's degree in forensics. And I remember we went for like a visit to go see her house. And so she, she had us like write a, a sentence and she could analyze us based off what we wrote. And so it was very interesting. And I remember her doing a lot of uh, host segments. And so um, I want to say she was on the JonBenet Ramsey case. And she was actually. So she was on, she's been on ABC, NBC, CBC, True Crime, Crime Watch Daily. She's done the Jody Aries, Michael Jackson, Scott Peterson, Baby Gabriel, the Ricky Dyer, Casey Anthony, John Benet Ramsey. I mean, this is a huge list of people that she's actually been. We talked about Baby Gabriel. So, yeah, we have. And so this is, uh, so this may be the same person we're talking about, but I'll have to uh, send you her information to see if it is. But yeah, the, the, I've always was fascinating that there's somebody that can analyze your handwriting and like know your personality, know if you wrote something else. But crazy that there's a forensics. Yeah, that just means, yeah, that just means my teacher was right. She always said handwriting was important. <laughs> yeah, which is interesting. If you look back at my signatures, has changed so many times. I don't know if you could ever f go back to my original signature. I could even do that. So it's changed after all the years. Even my handwriting is completely different now. It's just like chicken, like scratches. It looks like a doctor's. Uh, I can't even make out sometimes my 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 notes. Oh, I know. Yeah, that was one of the bigger cases. Was that and also, um, in the '90s, something that was really huge was like alien stuff, right? And it always tied back to Roswell. So like the conspiracy stuff always stuck around. Where I always seem to have a fascination with that, just the true crime part of it, of like what happened, but also 
the conspiracy side of, of the true crime of some of these cases, like, for example, that it was possibly John Bonet's mom, how that was like, it became a conspiracy, or that John Bonet happens to be Katy Perry. Now, that's a weird conspiracy that comes that has come out in, in life now. So it's, it's very interesting to look at those conspiracies. But other suspects, you know, you hear about the Ted Bundys, you hear about John Wayne Gacy. And so I want to mention the John Wayne Gacy case. So that when I was growing up, my idea of John Wayne Gacy was that he was a clown and that he went around and looked like a pedophile and he was like kidnapping kids and killing them. And so that was the story in my mind for the longest time that I ever thought that that's what he did. When I watched the confessions tapes that were recorded for John Wayne Gacy, the new episode series that came out for um, on Netflix, and they talk about him, the attorney that represented John Wayne Gacy, and how he was actually a huge influencer in the Democratic Party, how he was a big influence in just in the Chicago area, and how like people just would not believe that he did these things, and how many bodies they found under his house. Like, whew, that was like a mind-blowing case to me, because it was like, don't listen to a case that you you've probably heard from a third party, like a telephone, like the telephone game, right? You heard it from a third party or you heard it from somebody that they said something and you go on your whole life thinking that that's what the case happened. And reality was not like that at all. Yeah, it's not. And going back to Gacy, um, another little confession is um, like when I was born, the first house that I lived in was just a couple miles down the road from where his house was. Uh, it was plenty before he was there, mm-hmm. but yeah, I at my first the first house I I lived in as a baby was just a few miles down the road from from uh, Pogo's place. That's a little freaky. <laughs> yeah, and he he was heavily into Chicago politics. Everybody thought he was a stand up guy. His mm-hmm. name, his mom loved John Wayne, and mm-hmm. that's what she named him, John Wayne. She loved him. But uh, yeah, he was a little cuckoo for cocoa puffs. And I remember as a kid, when you're starting to hear about this, I'm thinking man, this guy was ingenious. You know, he put the bodies in the base. Who would find him there? And then, of course, my mind jumped to, um, if anybody out there, some of our older listeners are familiar with the the play Arsenic and Old Lace. If you've you've never seen Arsenic and Old Lace, you you need to see it, especially with the the film version with Cary Grant. He is Mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal in that. And Peter Lorre guest stars in that as well. But it's just the story of these two little widow women who are lonely and they invite these men over and they give them elderberry wine and they poison them because they think they're helping them because they're alone and they have nothing to look forward to in life. And then they live with a cousin who's mentally ill and he thinks he's Teddy Roosevelt. And so he's, they will kill the person, mm-hmm. put him in the window seat. And when they have time, Teddy will take them down to Panama and bury them in the canal. And so here now it's like, here's John Wayne Gacy. I'm like, here's a real person burying people in the in the basement. And I'm thinking, did he watch that movie? Oh, it's where did he get that idea from? You know, as a kid, it was like, wow. I'm like, you know, it's going to take a minute for people to find bodies under your under your house. You know, and it did because the first time the, the cops ever came by, they smelled something, but they couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. And the neighbors, the neighbors were complaining. But then my my other confession is uh, one of the times I was at Perryville, I was working and an inmate came up to get her weekly meds 
And, uh, you know, she showed me her ID and I'm digging out her meds and I handed it to her and I was like, okay, yeah, here you go. And she's like, yeah, thanks. I go, Hey, are you okay? And you sound like you're a little, a little down. And she goes, yeah, she goes, thanks. It's just not a really good day for me. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Is a particular anniversary or something, you know, going on? And she goes, yeah, she goes, uh, my brother was killed. And I said, oh, I'm really, really sorry. That's, you know, that's just not good. You know, I said, let us know if, you know, you need to talk to anybody or if there's anything we can do. She goes, yeah, it's just a dark day. She goes, yeah, my brother was one of Gacy's victims. Mm. I was like, I was like, what? I, I would have to see the list and I would, I, I can't remember her name, but I went, she told me her brother's name and I went and I looked it up and it was like, damn, he was like one of the middle victims. He was in the middle, the middle of the pack. And I was like, oh my God. Now that you're saying that um, from this Netflix series, they actually talked about that they were able to solve through DNA two of the five victims that they could not identify that they found their bodies. So they recently found uh, one in 2017 and then one in this past, like I think it was in January or February, they figured out, but there's three uh, bodies that they've yet to find out who they are. Oh, wow. From the suspect. And I'm like, I didn't even know that. It's like, it's crazy. Like the things that you learn if you actually dig into a case, um, which is crazy. It's kind of second one is the, that I watched while we were like on our break was one about Warren Jeffs. And we talked about his case mm-hmm. and some of the things that we heard in this, in this uh, series on Netflix, it was like, I think it's called obey and pray or something like that it was some it was a tagline that he would say all the time and i mentioned it in the, in our episode that we oh talked i about. think i think it was obey and pray obey and pray um and towards the end the last episode they talk about the reason why they were able to keep him locked up in texas was they were able to go into the temple that he created and found all his recorded documents they found a, a, a bed and so in the audio recordings that they found was him having sex with a twelve year his twelve year old bride, oh. and his his other wives were in there as witnesses, and so they were there, and the, you can capture their audio. And it was let's just say very like enough evidence to lock him up for life. So yeah, that Ugh. guy is never coming out. So they found other recordings and pictures of him having sex with a fifteen year old, twelve year old. Like it, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, well, yay Texas. Yeah, so that's another like kind of a Netflix series if you guys are interested in the Warren Jeffs. If we left you guys tingling for more knowledge on that case, that's definitely a a series to go on. True crime has uh, not only just impacted like you know externally, and you know, Kat and I worked at the prison together. You know, was like even when I was in sixth grade, there was this girl, or I should say, this guy that was in school with me. And his sister got murdered. And it was, I tried to go back to look for this case to find out more information because, you know, at sixth grade, you're like, I don't know, I was like, what, 11, 12 years old. And you weren't really gasping what was happening. But, you know, I know she got shot in her house. And that's all I really knew. And the only thing we always only knew was that there was all these rumors that after she died, the family were buying all this kind of properties and stuff within town. So they used her life insurance that they had on her to buy those all this property that was like the rumor that was going on like i really don't know they think that the mom had something to do with her murder and it was just rumors right we have, I have no idea what happened I was a kid you know that was one of the biggest crime stuff you know the most 
impactful one was in how I got into doing this podcast and why I wanted to talk about true crime was my brother's case. One of these days, I'll love to talk to you guys about my brother's case because it's a very interesting case. I will be more than happy if you guys want to hear this case because he is doing time now, but it's a very, it left me wanting to fight more for people's rights and speaking up. And, you know, there is a huge, you look at things completely different when you go through something like true crime. And that's why I always mention the comments. I make these comments when we talk about a case, like how does this impact the family after they've been locked up? How does it impact not just the victims, but the families? And uh, you carry this with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, there's always more than one victim. Right. You know, and both sides lose. Yes. Never ending conversation when it comes to true crime. And I think that's what's fascinating. You know, it leaves you, you go with the action of what happened, but then also the mental aspect of it. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, what was your suspect? I think that you think that left you kind of scared at night. Okay. Uh, I, I, w- I wanted to hear what was the biggest case that you think left you? I mean, we kind of dug into John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, he was kind of the first one. It's usually the first one that, that really leaves you kind of like, wow. You know, then I wind up working at prison and I'm like, I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with these people, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes they were more horrific than what you expect. And sometimes they were a lot more normal than you expect. Yeah, I think that was the scariest part about working in the prison system was that the fact that they acted normal, like it was just a normal day every day. I mean, you look at somebody like Loretta Greer and she was like so off the hook crazy. But then you Mm -hmm. look at somebody like our Porter Newcomb and you're like, how did you get here? Right. You know, obviously we know, but how did you get here? You know, Mm -hmm. you can't even believe this would be the same person that that committed the crime, you know. But again, you know, drugs... You know, same thing with, you know, Gail Zeistrel. It was like high on meth when it happened. Once you meet her sober, you're like, she's awesome. She's funny. Mm-hmm. That's just weird. Any conspiracies that you can think of that left you like always kind of wanting more about conspiracies or something that you just didn't really care about conspiracies? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I, I'm I'm a sucker for, you know, a good conspiracy as well. And uh trying to think of it was always amazing to me like how so much was covered up and i can go back to your boy your favorite old old you know john f kennedy you know when that whole thing happened and then it came out later and now we find out years later there's two bullets there was more than one person and you're just like what are you guys covering up what you know we will Mm -hmm. never never fully know but i just look at stuff like that and part of me is like you know how could you? Right. You know, how could you? There was two shooters. You know, you set up some guy who probably never even pulled the trigger. Well, it's like this, the conspiracy about Area 51. Like, that was such a hidden thing for the longest time. And then the government finally said, like, late 90s, oh, yeah, by the way, we do have Area 51. And now it's like the whole alien thing now. Oh, well, it's not the alien, it's UFOs. They call them Aereo something. It's basically UFOs. Okay, guys, it's UFOs. I don't care what they name it. It's UFOs. <laughs> So they can't explain these astro, like, I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's definitely something more that nobody's telling us. And sometimes these can. Oh, well, exactly. And and Kennedy had so much because then you just go off on the, off on Marilyn mm-hmm. Monroe. Like there's a whole other conspiracy theory attached yes. to that conspiracy theory. That's another crazy case. 
Uh, you know, all the all the famous women he was involved in. There's another angle. You're just like, oh my god, Marilyn was at the tip mm-hmm. of the iceberg. She she was like the one they put out there. I think for me, one of the biggest conspiracies is uh, going to the dentist and getting your tooth taken out. And I'm like, what happens to that tooth? I used to always tell the dentist I used to work for. I used to be like, what are you doing with this tooth? Like, does it really go to biohazard? Like, where it happens at biohazard? Like, what if somebody's <laughs> random tooth ends up at a true crime, like at a crime scene? Or like, when you get your hair cut, does it really get thrown away? Like, what happens to that hair? What if it's somebody's hair sprinkled at a crime scene that, you know... <laughs> That is why I do not go and get my hair cut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those are some, some of the crazy like questions. Like, it runs across my head, but it's all good. That's all I have for, for our, our episode. I mean, we, I think that this is kind of our my why and why I love doing our podcasting, because we get to talk about all different kinds of episodes that impact your life. So, yeah, exactly. You know, and if any of our listeners have questions, and they can reach out to us on Facebook and you know, ask us more questions. So it'd be great. Yeah. But I think we're going to have to wrap this one up, get busy with the next one. Yeah. So we're excited. So before you guys, uh, before we leave you guys, do you have a question for the week? Who was the eyeball killer? This is a very interesting case. We just found out of, we just heard about. So who was the eyeball killer? Ooh. So we invite all our listeners and our stalkers to kind of follow up on social media um, check out our website, listen to our podcast and share them with your friends. And we look forward to next week's episode. We'll start going into cases and we'll start having a discussion on the Charles Vallow's case. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I want to deep dive into him and what was going on with him. Absolutely. So we look forward to catching you guys next week and uh, I'm glad to be back. Oh, about time. Glad to have you back. We, we were missing you. <laughs> Absolutely. It's good to be back, and I look forward to keeping all our stalkers happy. Yeah. All right. Wow. Thank you, everyone. We appreciate you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for hanging with us, because I know we were gone for a minute. Absolutely. So thank you. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you guys next week. You guys take care and be safe out there. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime One or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Ninth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Ninth for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.